As marketers, our job is to get our solution in front of the right people who have a problem that we can solve. In order to do that well, you really need to understand the problem. That means doing interviews with your target market, observing how they interact with your product, even going as far as participating in their day-to-day life. Essentially, you want to fall in love with the problem you're solving. That's exactly what Benjamin Fernandez, founder and CEO of Nala Money, says is the most important when starting and growing a company. Nala Money is a money transfer app that lets people send money securely, quickly, and for low cost between the UK, Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda. Benjamin himself has a fascinating personal story. He was the youngest African to be accepted into the Stanford Graduate of Business. And after working for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, he returned to Tanzania to launch Nala Money. Nala is the number one finance app in Tanzania and has 250,000 customers in Uganda and Tanzania. Nala was also accepted into Y Combinator and apparently came in as the company that had achieved the most amount of traction with the smallest number of resources. In today's chat, I'm talking with Benjamin about how he fell in love with the problem he was solving, which is very connected to his own personal story, why he's working so hard to unite everyone under one purpose of increasing economic opportunity for Africans worldwide, and how he's built an outstanding team which got him incredible investors and produced high-quality output. You're listening to Market Like a Fintech, a podcast where I explore how fintech marketers are using marketing to help fintech companies fulfill their mission of democratizing finance. I am your host, Araminta Robertson, partner at the Fintech Marketing Hub. Let's hear from Benjamin. So Benjamin, I love how you understood right from the beginning, before even starting Nala, how it important it was to fall in love with the problem. So can you tell me, what does that mean? And how did you specifically fall in love with the problem? Uh, thank you. Uh, well, first of all, I don't believe in ideas. Um, and I say that really bluntly because ideas are diamond a dozen. Everybody has ideas. Everybody has things that they're like, oh, I have this million dollar idea. I'm like, okay, well, if it's a million dollar idea, like go and figure it out. Like the, the magic is in the execution. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not about just like understanding the idea. It's understanding how you're going to execute it. But most people really focus too much on the idea, but start forgetting the customers that they're serving. And so consistently with everything that we do at Nala or like even with my friends that we talk to who are also tech founders, I always consistently say like, all right, we've got to understand the problem better before we can build anything around it because there's so much market insight that people sleep on and assume that they understand better than the customer. And so uh, for us, it's a really big priority to spend time understanding the problem, uh, coming up with questions, not to lead us to the answers we want to hear, but lead us to insights that could be really unique around what we're trying to build. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I love how you had that right from the beginning. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that uh, in terms of how the steps you took to understand a problem, because I think that too often we talk about understanding a problem, but often it takes months to truly understand a problem. Often it takes, I find in my experience, building the product to better understand the problem, because often you have to, yeah. So in in this episode, I'm testing a new kind of structure where I focus on three different areas of, of a company, of, of Nala in this case. Uh, the first one being kind of customer acquisition and, and interacting with customers. The second one being branding and messaging. 
Uh, and then the last one is uh, building a team and hiring. So we'll we'll be talking on we'll be touching kind of those three main uh, topics. So for the first one, um, you just mentioned like customer acquisition. Understanding the pro- to understand a problem, you need to be very close to your customers. And with Nala, you started by interviewing like over six hundred fifty people uh, for like o- across three months, like what we were just saying, uh, which is incredible. Um, and you also onboarded. Uh, for the first 100 customers yourself. So can you explain like why why is that important to you and how do you feel that has benefited you now? Yeah, so uh, I'll start with the onboarding uh, customers one-on-one. I think there is massive insight you can gain from spending time with customers because uh, even when we were onboarding them, because before we even built a, wrote a single line of code, you know, we met, we we had a bunch of different questions we want answers to, right? For example, today we're going after. We don't like being called a remittance company, mm. but that's when most people box us into. Uh, you know, because we do international money transfers from the UK to Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, and Ghana. And uh, when we are, you know, starting to evolve into international money transfer, I was like, "Are you guys crazy? Do you not know that World Dreamer exists? That Transferwise exists? That Asimo exists? That all these like you know billion dollar businesses exist that do the exact same thing?" I'm like, "Yeah." And do you also know that 87 percent of money transfer that's recorded still happens at physical stores? And there has to be a reason why, right? You know, if you t- look at a Western Union's annual volume just in the UK and Transferwise's annual volume in the UK, it's barely one percent of Western Union's annual volume. Um, and so like, who are the real winners there? Right. Um, and so there has to be reasons and rationale for why stuff is still happening offline in, in physical stores. Is it ID issues? Is it people don't trust apps? Is it, you know, people don't have smartphones? Like what are all these assumptions that you have to really understand more? And so I think that's where, you know, with us, like really trying to interview and understand, um, I remember even to some of our investors, they thought we were crazy. They're like, no, like you guys are ridiculous, like trying to go after this. And I was like, no, I think there's there's a lot of insight that's still not tapped into. I think there's a lot to understand in the market. I think it's just the beginning. I think it's just scratching the the tip of the iceberg for what's going to be happening in the international money transfer space. I think payments in Africa is 1% built. And I feel that very confidently um, because I think there's so much more that needs to be done, especially on the infrastructure side that's missing. You know, if, if you know, the, the, an easy way to look at this is you can send money maybe to if 10 European countries instantly and maybe get the same money back in the same day, you can't do that to Africa. You can't do that to many countries in the world, right? Until that's solved, like money transfer is not solved yet. And, you know, that's a simple way of looking at it. So spending time with customers, uh, doing the one-on-one onboardings uh, required a lot of time, but it's probably the most, one of the most fulfilling things I've done this whole year because you just get to really sit down with the customer and you have to be quiet and watch them go mm. through the product, even though it was like the scrappy, bad version of it. And like, you're just cringing, like, you're like, oh, like, it's just so painful yeah. to watch. Like, you know, they, they missed the button that you thought they would see. And you're just like, oh, like we spent so much time. Des- like, so I did all the UI UX design for, for Nala. Um, and, you know, you just have all these assumptions and you try to show it to a few people here and there, but then watching customers interact with it. And then there's different personas, right? Especially with different age groups, different tech- Savvyness levels and like maybe some older people understand stuff, younger people don't. And you know, you're trying to like do how do you build for both? Uh, especially because like both there's two different types of people who are sending money home. So, you know, that was really fulfilling. So I spent a lot of time and asked them very similar questions, uh, just to identify patterns and gain unique insight. Like, why are they sending money home? How frequently are they sending money home? What do they look for when they're using a service? Uh, and you what you learn basically so the basic things are people care about uh fees. 
is the first thing. Mm-hmm. Um, second thing is time of delivery. Is it instant or how long does it take? And the third thing is account limits. Like those are like the first level of buckets for what people care about most for international money transfer. And then the secondary levels, right? These are people who like do further things, right? People, can I schedule payments? Can I do rate matching? Can I do rate alerts? Can I do, uh, can I store local currencies in the UK? Um, and there's other people who do it for businesses. Like, can I increase account limits to send bulk amounts of money for, I'm buying a car in Africa or I'm building a house or whatever. So it's like five or six different layers of interest for what people care about most. And like a lot of those aren't solved yet uh, in the international money transfer space. And so I think just a little bit of the first piece is solved, uh, but n- a lot of the other pieces aren't. Um, and I think there's, so spending time with the customers really helps you understand that and helps you understand patterns of what you start to notice. Um, and I think that's really fascinating because then you can circle different insights. It's like, okay, what are you going to take a bet on here? So I'm I'm hearing two things here, which was the initial like 650 people you interviewed before starting, like building the product, which is more like interviews, I'm guessing. So like a survey or, yeah. So what, mm-hmm. walk me through like how the, the first initial piece of research you did, how, how did you put that together and what was it exactly? Yeah, I think a lot of the data out there is incorrect. Mm, Uh, Like a lot of even about international money transfer is completely incorrect. There's a company that we know they were doing about six billion dollars in money transfer to six to five African countries. Uh, It's it's a it's a tech company. Like people know it's in the they operate in the UK as well. And you know the World Bank data says the amount of money that's sent to Sub-Saharan Africa is only forty eight billion. There's no way that company was doing like you know that percentage Mm. of all those transfers, right? Um, And so if that's what they were doing, imagine how much of unknown money is still getting transferred to the region that nobody's accounted for. So I think a lot of data is wrong, uh, especially about the region, Um, even just general money transfer globally. I think there's a lot of uh, incorrect data. And if you really just skew yourself around like looking at World Bank data and facts, then I think you limit like the business potential. Um, And so I think having an understanding uh, of that and like carving your questions around that. So one thing that's really hard with user interviews, the big mistake most people make, including myself, is you sometimes want people to say what you want them, what you want mm, to hear. Leading questions, um, right? And I think, exactly. And that's so hard to not do. Like, that's so tough consistently. Like, we always have to ask yourself, like, okay, is this leading them to an answer that we want to hear? And then you have to find a neutral third party to, like, run the questions through. Uh, and if you're finding the same answers consistently, and, like, even if they don't even do international money transfers, then there's a mistake there in your survey, right? And so... I think we spend a foundational amount of time like looking at our questions and like, okay, what does this question help us answer? Like, what are we trying to answer through this question uh, is what we're really trying to solve. Um, and so that's kind of how we're looking at it, you know, for for this sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I like how you decided to ignore the data. I think that's really important as as digital marketers. People will often say, oh, what do Google Trends say? Or what does these analytics, what do, what do the SEO tools say? Or what do, this is just in my domain, but... What do all these tools say? But then actually, often qualitative data is better in the sense that um, you get to kind of hear it from customers' own own mouths. And so, yeah, so you, with that research, were then able to kind of, okay, now we know exactly what it is that people need. So I'm just curious, why is it that most people, most uh, people in uh, East African countries are using offline stores to transfer money? So, I mean, just, I think there's, there's many different elements for it. So like even here in the UK, so I spent quite a bit of time in like East London, Barking area and so on. And you can sit outside the Western Union or the MoneyGram there. And like, I spent like half a day sitting outside and you see like so many East Africans like walking into the store, 
people who have smartphones, people who've like, you know, seem like, you know, well, like they've been in the UK for more than 15, 20 years. And so I'll, after they come out the store, I'll ask them like, hey, why do you still go here? It's like, oh, I've known this shop person for like 15 years or like 10 years. I always come here. And I said, like, oh, did you know that you can transfer this? Yeah, but I don't trust it. Really? Like, oh, I've not set it up yet. Oh yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's many different reasons. So one is trust, two is familiarity. I mean, not in any order here. Uh, three is, I mean, even with trust, the third one is a really tough one. It was it was quite sad. So like um, I met this person who runs like a mosque in East London. I, I won't say where. And um, he was he was telling me, I was like, okay, like you should, why don't you use any of these digital apps? He's like, you want the truth? I was like, I was like, yeah. He's like, well, I didn't come here legally. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And he's like, yeah, so I'm too scared to submit my ID anywhere because then like you guys will submit me to like immigration and I get sent back home. But I've been here for, you know, 20 years now. And so I have my kids here and my family here. And so I'm too scared. It's too high risk for me. And so you hear stories like that or like another person we met, uh, this lady, she had four BRPs. British resident permits as like a legal ID. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, wow, and all different names mm. on the same BR, uh, on, on, on the BRP. And obviously we can't serve a customer like that. Um, you know, legally we can't do that. You have to have a proper legal ID in, in, in the UK for us to serve you. Um, but, you know, I couldn't ask her like, where'd you get all these BRPs? Like, you know, she wouldn't answer me. She wouldn't tell me, but these are specific examples of, of many different stories. Like these are a few examples I'm giving you, but there's lots of people wow. around the UK who would be in the similar boat or position. Um, and so therefore uptaking a digital app or service to get nervous about like, okay, will you guys submit me to whatever? Um, will I get found out? And it's really sad because like, you know, a lot of people have families here. They take care of their loved ones back home. And to me, like, that's why a lot of these offline, not even physical stores, but offline ways of transacting is still number one. So for example, it's like, if I want to send, let's say 500 pounds to Kenya, I will call a friend and I'll give them physical cash of 500 pounds. And they'll call another friend on a WhatsApp group or something in Kenya to deliver yeah, 500 pounds up. equivalent in Kenyan <laughs> shillings. Yeah. But like, that's still the biggest mm. globally. Like no one beats the manual Hawala system. Uh, that's the number one way of money transfer globally that it's done today. Uh, and then it's physical stores and then it's the digital services. The digital services is, you know, just getting started. Their, their volumes are tiny. So it seems like your, your number one kind of challenge as a digital app is overcoming that, overcoming that trust. So what is your num what is your first priority in kind of overcoming that? I think something that we care about. So like we're an African company with a global team. Um, and that's something that's foundational in our roots. Um, you know, I'm from Tanzania. I grew up there. Uh, I moved to the States and then I moved back to Tanzania. So working on Nala. And I think people knowing that we're from the continent, people really care and, and mm. like that. So a lot of our customers really resonate with that. You know, even within our product, we have words in Swahili, we have words oh. in like, you know, Luganda, we we throw in like these little like mix and kicks. Um, like, you know, we add these little small touches from home. Like when you send money, you see a plane flying from the UK to Uganda and the hearts pop up. And, you know, we call it like sending money with love. Cause like, that's like the theme we're trying to, you know, cause I think, I think, international money transfer, there's a lot of sentiment that goes behind it. It's because people sacrifice time away from their loved ones. They miss weddings, funerals, birthdays, and all these things to, in, in search of a better opportunity and hope, um, you know, to financially support other people. And I think with African communities, more it's more prevalent because they're financially more responsible for a lot of people back home compared to a lot of other communities that we've chatted with. 
And, you know, think about it this way, like less than 1% of Africans on the continent have health insurance, right? So someone, something goes on, it's always the relatives who live abroad who are called first to help pay for the hospital bills. And like, that's a big ask from, from us. Like a, a big thing people send money for home is hospital mm. bills um, or school fees and things like that. And so I think there's a lot of sentiment that ties with us even with that. And so as a business, really try to think about our customers that way and really build it around the community. And I think that's what's really helped us build trust. Um, like we've not even launched a single ad campaign uh, since we started our, our our product, but we've doubled our monthly transaction volume five months in a row um, without a single ad campaign launch, all word of mouth. Well, I, I want to touch on branding and messaging in a bit because you do a very like, you're very focused on that, obviously. And I and that's how you're you're primary, primarily like acquiring customers. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you about something that you, I think it was in an interview I, I heard you talk about this, which is um, the aha moment. And I really like that. Mm. So <laughs> can you describe what is the aha moment and what was your aha moment with Nala? So I think for me, the aha moment for myself personally, I, I don't think there's an aha moment for me individually, but like, I think I think my personal aha was like realizing how much of this stuff isn't built yet. And I was like, wow, uh, because if I just listened to like all this stuff, like, oh, like money transfers already solved, whatever, we would have never started. Right. Mm. And if I even listened to some of our investors who are discouraging us from even going into international money transfer, we wouldn't have like even done anything, you know, and today those same investors are discouraged us so like, hey, can we can we lead the next round? I'm like. Like six months ago, you were telling me this whole thing was like, you know, and so it's, 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 you know, and I think it takes a lot of discipline to cancel some messages out in your head and be like, no, like, I think this is a bet that's we're, you know, worth willing taking. Obviously, like, it's going to be hard. It's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. We're still super early, right? Uh, and there's still a lot that we have to figure out. But I think for me, like, that was a big aha moment, just like canceling out noise uh, mentally and really like trying to understand things yourself versus just listening and reading all these random articles that aren't even factual, yeah. to be honest. I mean, are factual, but like maybe don't understand the problem as closely um, as as it should. This, the Within the product for us, the aha moment is, um, how can we? How might we make the user experience as seamless as possible, where the sign-up process to first transaction is the least amount of steps compared to any other remittance application? And when they make a successful transaction, there's a special feeling you create for the customer. And so for us, the feeling we create is the moment you authorize your first transaction, we have these heart, th this plane literally taking off from the UK, landing in Kenya, Uganda, or Tanzania, and then hearts popping up, right? And like, that's the whole premise we're trying to build with our customers, like send money with love. Mm -hmm. um, and and when people see that animation, like, you know, you can go on Twitter and see what people write about. It. It's like, oh, I love Nala's little touches and whatever. Um, and it's just those little things that make it feel special to our customer. And like for them, that's the aha moment we try to optimize first. Like how might we get anybody who's getting through the funnel to our aha moment as fast as possible? Oh, I see. So I think in the piece of content I read, it was something like, um, transaction monitoring, you realized that that was the most valuable feature in the app. Is that mm. true? Oh, okay. So, so that was on our previous product. Oh, yes. Okay. In yes. the, yes. Our, in the yeah, domestic yeah. product. And the local uh, yeah. domestic payments. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So in that yeah. case, the aha moment was more like understanding what was the most valuable feature in that product, right? That's what yeah. you would describe the aha yeah. moment as. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. And so the, the last kind of uh, customer acquisition thing I wanted to touch on is the the business plan competition you did. Was this with your mm -hmm. domestic product or with uh, the new one? Yeah, it was with the domestic yeah. product. Yeah. Uh, but I like how you, it was a competition, but at the same time, 
it was a way of uh, gathering product feedback. So would you mind explaining a little bit what that competition entailed yeah. and how you gathered that product feedback? Yeah, so I love getting creative about this stuff because yeah. like, there's so many ways that people can do stuff and it's all like lame and boring. It's like same stuff everybody does anyway. So I was like, okay, well, let's, how can we get creative and also gather user feedback or like get more awareness about Nala out there? So we ran this competition. I think the amount of money was like, 3,500 pounds, like it was 10 million shillings, right? And uh, what we told people was, uh, apply, you know, with your business, you know, like, and we made the, it's just so super short. It was like a one page, like plan of like what you're doing, like what traction you have, if any, and you know, what you want to accomplish or what your goals are. And uh, we like, you know, ran this campaign and, and to apply, you had to do two things. One, you had to submit that like one pager, like application. And the second thing is you had to interview 10 Nala customers and ask them what we could improve on the product. Um, so that was it. That was like the way to submit. And so all of a sudden, I forgot how many applications we had. I don't know. It was like 5,000 applications or something like that. So all of a sudden from those 5,000 applicants, we had, you know, 50,000 pieces of feedback on what people wanted to improve on Nala. And when people would go around to ask their friends, they would essentially tell their friends about Nala, right? Mm, And so their friends would install Nala. And so for us, we grew our user base that way and we got free customer feedback and then we could identify like, you know, obviously from the 5,000 applications, um, there was maybe, you know, only like 20,000 good responses from like the the 50,000 sure. that was supposed to come in for for the knowledge feedback, but it was, it was better than zero. And that also helped us like realign. It's like, okay, is this what our thesis was? And like, it just validated many things for us. Um, and so in the competition, like that's what that allowed us to do. It allowed us to make it fun, but also allowed us to gather user feedback by also teaching people to like think about problem solving and gaining customer feedback that way versus just thinking about a cool idea. I think it's a very effective way of gathering product feature, um, feedback and at scale, right? Because I mean, 50,000, mm-hmm. Jesus, that's a lot. So yeah. super useful. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. So talking about messaging and branding, so you're really big. Uh, on on branding at Nala, and your tagline is literally "Build our Africa." So you you've touched mm-hmm. on it a little bit why this is important, but why? What is your thinking behind it, and why? In what way are you trying to unite everyone behind this purpose of kind of building our Africa and this theme of love? Like, what what is your yeah? What is your thinking behind that? I think as Africans, we're often underestimated, you know, pushed aside and told to wait for others to solve our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're frequently the underdogs. You know, for me personally, I there's a there's a life story that's very like personal to me that that comes from that. You know, I grew up in Tanzania. Um, K through twelve, I was sponsored by a British family to go to school. Um, I got a scholarship opportunity when I was seventeen that took me to America, and it was just people betting on me and giving me the opportunities that I never felt like I earned. Um, and there's millions of kids who wish they were in the shoes I was I was given. And so when I moved to America for the first time, I worked really hard. I was I was on a three month trial period on academic probation and I had to prove myself academically. And so after four years, I graduated top of my class um, at the university. And then my professor came up to me and said like, hey, I know like you want to go back to Africa, but promise me you're going to go to Stanford and Harvard for your MBA and nowhere else. And I looked at him and was like, dude, I don't even know a single person who's gone to like Stanford for the MBA or Harvard for the MBA. He's like, oh, you'll figure it out. And so that professor planted a seed in my head that this thing was potentially possible. So I went back home, I was working in the TV industry and like did some payments work. And then I applied to go to Stanford and Harvard and got a full scholarship. Um, And so like, you know, I went to Stanford for my MBA. And like, for me, during that time period, I also started to realize like, I'm extremely privileged, right? Like, you know, this is a scholarship that seven people out of 8,000 applicants earn as a full ride at Stanford. Um, And like, 
you know, being sitting there, like I wanted to see like, okay, what can I do back on the continent? Can I can open up opportunities for other people uh, like me or like people who can get these opportunities as well. And I think the financial services industry and like enabling Africans to be like economically empowered, like whether it's through business trade, whether it's through money transfer, like that's something that really motivates me as an individual. Um, and and the whole theme and premise behind Build Our Africa is for Africans, like really being able to build stuff, um, you know, because if money transfer is happening, you know, there's all these reports where, you know, international remittances does more impact the continent than any of this foreign aid money um, because mm-hmm. people are building businesses back home. People are building infrastructure back home, you know, and then over time when Africa can trade with the world, when people can do outbound transactions from Africa to other countries, think about the trade opportunity that creates for people to be financially better off. And that's kind of the whole premise behind Build Our Africa. And so for us as a brand and as a company, we really position ourselves that way because this is a value that we stand for. Um, You know, our whole team, as I said, we're an African company with a global team because I think talent is everywhere globally, but opportunity isn't. Um, and when you can bring in people who have incredible experience, for example, our CTO, Nico, he built OSPA, uh, the first kids digital bank in the UK. Cool. And then he went to Monzo, went to Comply Advantage, then he joined us, right? So he's got incredible experience he brings to the table, but most people don't realize he actually grew up in West Africa. Um, and so he's been looking to do something back on the continent for a long time. So every single person on the Nala team, whether they're African or not, they have this love for the problem we're trying to solve for, or this passion for the continent that we're trying to collectively uh, solve as a team. I think... Yeah, I, I love how clear your purpose and premise is. And I talk a lot about this on the podcast, how a premise or a, pod, a purpose gives um, people a reason to to stay, right? You don't want just people mm-hmm. to arrive. You don't want people maybe to just use Nara once. You want them to keep using it, right? And you keep you, you, you mm-hmm. get them to stay by giving them a purpose or giving them a reason to continue. And you've just mentioned that your personal story is a big part of it. And I uh, watched your TED talk, so I know. <laughs> um, and and you also say like you like wearing like African shirts when you're abroad to like demonstrate, <laughs> you know, this is this is our purpose. Yeah. I'm curious more on a personal level, like how do you? I mean, you've kind of already answered this question in the sense that how how does your personal story? What is the role of your personal story in the in Nala? Like, do you think? It's, I mean, it's helped a lot in the sense of building trust, but do you think it was essential? Do you think it's essential? I guess that's my question. I think it is. But that being said, I think Nala's bigger than me. Mm. Um, I think I'm just a starting point for this. Like for me, Nala's a brand. Like I I look, I tell my team, it's like Coca-Cola, right? I want it to be beyond me. Like a hundred years from today, people remember what Nala did for the African continent. Uh, So it's, it's bigger than Benji. Like people know Benjamin, people, you know, whatever, but like, I, so I think that as an initial starting point, like, you know, when we've walked the path of like the things that we're trying to do versus just, you know, you see all these random companies, like people like, trying to build similar stuff to what we are doing, but like have no real like care about the continent, mm-hmm. you know, but just looking at it from a capitalistic perspective, of, like how can we make a lot of money, um, you know, which which isn't a bad thing to, to, to make money, but it's just like, is there true, uh, a true genuine story behind the purpose for why a lot of these companies that might be trying to accomplish. And that's the big question, right? Um, And so I think it comes back to values and a lot of marketing is around values um, and what you're creating and and telling because, you know, you can, you share your truth um, and that's, nobody can argue with the truth of of why you're doing stuff. I guess when you're just starting out, the personal story plays a big, like very important part, right? Of a startup or for a fintech company. Mm -hmm. And then once you start to grow 
it's like, okay, now let's just separate a little bit and let let the story work without, you know, the, the founder mm-hmm. being behind it. So I guess that's your kind of thought process, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. for sure. Um, you also talk a lot about financial inclusion and community. And I've also, community is a big part of, of this podcast and what I talk about. Uh, some fintech companies are setting up Slack communities. Some are adding social features to their product. What What is community for Nala? What does it mean and how are you building it? Our early access users are like incredible. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I was looking at the dashboard earlier and I think after 11 weeks, our retention is nearly 70%. Oh which is insane. Um, like, you know, it's ridiculous. I talked to my other fintech founders and they're like, that's crazy. Um, you know, after 10 to 12 weeks, like you're getting that high retention. Um, and I think a lot of our early access users have been like extremely supportive of us because they really want to get involved. Um, you know, I, I feel super in, like, for example, I don't live in the UK today, like full time, right? I'm trying to move to the UK right now. And um, we have people who, will go above and beyond for us. For example, there's this guy, Winluck Shio. He uh, went two and a half hours, I think from Derby to Reading to speak at uh, a Tanzanian event just about Nala. And, you know, got like 75 people signing up for us at that event, you know, on a sat- last Saturday, right? And it's just people like them who, you know, we built this loyalty with and who really believe in the Nala vision and, and, our, and our story, who are willing to go above and beyond for us as a company that really motivates us to do the work that we do. But I don't, I don't think that happens just because of a nice product. I think that happens because of the effort that we as a company continuously do with our community. And so what we actively do, like, Every week I'm in London or every time I'm in London, we try to do an event with our community. For example, tomorrow night, we're doing an event in Canary Wharf. Cool. We're inviting young East African professionals uh, together and like discussing tech, discussing like different things and like, you know, and we host that and like kind of tell them what we're doing, kind of things that we're hiring for, like what we need help with, how they can help us. And, you know, we really make it about like, connecting people back home so like most of the time we do events we always play african music we always cater african food we always try to do it in an african restaurant if possible um and we you know even with our branding and stuff for example our t-shirts don't say nala on them on the front they'll say like some funny african saying um because it's like boring like i was like i don't want to say nala in people's face that's like a lame tech company like i want us to say something that people be like oh that's funny and it reminds me of home and like maybe on the side have a tiny Nala logo. Um, and so like all our t-shirts say something funny on them or something that in Swahili or Luganda or, you know, different language. But, you know, that really connects with our community. So, so yeah, that's like in the UK and, and, and with your domestic product back home, how is that also similar? Are you also doing events or how, how are you building in community there? Yeah, so I think, so we have this thing called Nala Champions mm-hmm. uh, and it's just like a Telegram group or something where it's like Nala Insiders, wow. right? So like every th- new thing we're building, like people like get to hear about it there. And we also publish our roadmap publicly so anybody can just go and see it. Um, and I think that helps us build massive trust because people know what's coming next. Yeah, these are two things that I, yeah, like building in public is a great way of building trust or showcasing your strategy, showcasing how you're doing things is a good way. So yeah, that's really cool. It's also hard because like we have a lot of competitors who are consistently opening that and signing up for that. I'm just like, ah, whatever. <laughs> the thing is that you cannot copy a story, right? Sure, you can copy yeah. features and benefits, yeah. but the story you cannot copy. So if that's your big moat, then that's fine. Yeah. 
Cool. And and so on the topic of hiring and building a team, you've mentioned that you're building a global team, and um, uh, you also mentioned in a in another interview it was it was interesting that it was a bit of a challenge working with people who've been in the industry for decades. I think this is more locally, so domestically. Um, how did you first overcome that when you started building the team? Yeah, so that's challenging. So I mean, I don't blame people on the content for this, but like the challenge you face. For, I'll give you a very specific example. So for example, let's look at app building or like a UI UX design role, right? In the UK, app people have been building apps since 2007, right? And so there's sure. like, you know, 13, 14 years of experience. Like a senior UI UX designer maybe has like, you know, five to 10 years of work experience. On the African continent, people have started building apps like at a high level, maybe five, six years max, right? And because there's so much more that was missing because like collection of payments was broken. So even if you built an app, you couldn't monetize it. So this wasn't happening much like, you know, eight, nine years ago. And so if you find like, say, a really good UI UX designer, let's say in Kenya, they maybe have five years of work experience or six years of work experience and have only been exposed to people around them, Mm. right? And so when you evaluate the quality that they might be bringing to somebody who's like, hey, like they've been growing up in the UK and like been doing this for 10 years and the quality of the number of different applications that have been built in that ecosystem or that tech ecosystem is significantly more. Therefore, the threshold of comparing experience, therefore raising the bar of quality is significantly higher, maybe potentially in the UK versus in East Africa. Um, And so again, I I say this carefully because I'm not here to blame people there because it's not their fault, um, but it's just the ecosystem of how it was built. And so that exposure uh, to a lot of this becomes really hard. And so that's why for us at Nala, we try to mix it both together, right? You bring like a world-class engineer from like UK digital banking and bring like a world-class engineer from M-Pesa Mobile Money uh, in Kenya or Tanzania and bring them on the same team. And then that magic happens, you know, because like the UK digital banking person doesn't understand how mobile money works. The, you know, mobile money expert doesn't understand how UK digital banking works. But when you bring them on the same team, like there's something magical that happens. Um, And I think the shared knowledge that becomes really interesting. Um, Regarding the senior um, folks, I think that was really hard. Um, We had a, I think, uh, like people who have been really exposed to like old school, like like banking, like in in, in Africa, Um, getting them to think creatively about like, okay, I know this is done this way and it's been done this way for 20 years, but like, can we do it like in these four different ways? Uh, and like the first answer is no. Mm, uh, I'm like, yeah. why not? <laughs> you know? And like after poking and poking and poking, it's like, oh, actually that's a good idea. Like, you know, that's a smart way to do that. And I'm like, yeah, but can we? Because uh, like, obviously there's compliance, it's legal. There's all these other things yeah. you have to follow, right? Um, and so I think um, when, when the African tech ecosystem starts to grow more, uh, we're going to see more and more of that and people get exposed to that. But because it's still very nascent and early, um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I like how you're bringing in people from kind of different countries to get them to, I mean, I guess, complement each other's skills. Mm-hmm. In terms of the finance industry, so what did you do? Do you just keep pushing and, and trying or did you bring in someone else? How did you try and fix that problem? Um, so... Actually, let me ask you a question. How do, how big do you think our team is? I, I remember reading a, an article at the beginning. You were like seven or eight, but now I'm guessing you're more. I'm not sure, fifteen, twenty. We're eight. Oh wow! So I was right uh, the first time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but like why I say that is because if people look at our product and what we've accomplished in the last eight months, people are like, oh, you have like forty people on your team. I'm mm, like, I no, see. we don't. Yeah. Um, and like even when we go to fundraise with VCs, they're like, okay, yeah, so like, um you know, like how, how many people you have on payroll, like 30, 40 people, right? I'm like, no, we have eight. 
and a lot of VCs are surprised. Mm. Um, you know, we were just closing around, um, and and we were issued multiple term sheets uh, without even a single deck because people saw our performance and can see our like okay, like these guy, like these this this team, this Nala team is performing at this level with very few employees. Imagine if we gave them more money to bring on some more like top quality employees, and so. We're extremely picky about who we bring on in the Nala team um, because one, there has to be values alignment for what we're trying to accomplish. And we really want like ambitious people to like help us get there. Uh, my goal is for us to be at a billion dollar valuation before we have 50 employees. Um, and I think we can get there. Um, you know, we're one tenth of the way there uh, right now. But, um, you know, I think, you know, if we if we can really keep pushing and bring on incredible talent, like us at Nala, we have a philosophy, we pay above market rate. Um, you know, for all our roles that we hire, but we also expect people to perform above like average, right? And so, and, and and I think with our team right now, if you like, we only have four engineers total on the whole team that's built everything you see today. Um, but like the output of those four engineers is is significant. Um, like I today do all UI UX designing. I can't do that anymore. Like I've got to hand that over to somebody else, right? Because I need to focus on other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but. I'm extremely picky about who we're bringing on for that role because like they all shape a lot of the product and the way it looks and the look and feel and the touch for the customer. Um, so I think my advice to entrepreneurs is be really picky about who you're bringing on. Make sure there's like strong values alignment. Um, eh, like that's foundational, but also make sure like, you know, the talent is there uh, and it raises the quality of everybody else in the team. Um, like, you know, and, and, and if there's, they're bringing a perspective that's going to be really helpful and insightful to the team to grow, I think that's really worth exploring. And from what I understand, that's what got you into Y Combinator, right? Um, from, (laughs) I, I read somewhere that Y Combinator was like, had never seen someone with so much traction, a company with as much traction and with, you know, so few resources. And that's kind of why you got in. We didn't really talk about that, but, um, it's Mm -hmm. pretty incredible. So there you go. Thank you. That's proof, right? Yeah. Yeah, when we got into YC, I think we had spent a total of $17,000 for everything we built. And we were only three employees, um, like co-founder and one employee. Um, and that was it. And our traction, I think we were moving like $300,000 a month in transaction volume. Um, and they were like, out of all the companies in YC history, we've never, like you guys had the most traction with the least amount of money spent. And how, how do you, so my, my last question on this topic is, how are you trying to, like the hard part, sure, you can be picky, but the hard part is attracting the talent, like making sure they come to you. So how are you trying to get the word out there? How are you sourcing the right candidates? And that's a hard challenge. I've not figured this out yet. You know, we're still trying to figure that out as we're going right now. I mean, I don't have all the golden answers for this one, um, you know, but, you know, we're trying to write more. We're trying to talk about what we're doing more. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to find people who are really aligned with what we care about. Um, you know, I think that's something that's really key for us. Um, you know, like as long as they care about, like they don't have to be from Africa, like it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, as long as they, they have values alignment for why we're trying to accomplish the goals we're trying to accomplish and they're extremely talented, uh, we will pay attention and look at them. So right now we're using some like recruiting firms in the UK, um, some recruiting firms in Africa, uh, but we're also trying to curate content as a business, um, you know, ourselves uh, to enable credibility um, so people trust us as a brand. Yeah. And you are hiring. Is that right? Yeah, we are. We are. We're hiring about nine roles uh, over the next couple of months. We'll probably be at 30 employees by this time next year. Cool. Um, and, uh, you know, right now the roles we're looking for is we're actually looking for a head of growth in the UK. Cool. Um you know, two engineers back end, two engineers front end, 
uh, a UI UX designer in the UK, a product manager in the UK, um, a head of finance, uh, who's because you have to measure, uh, <laughs> manage treasury in six different countries, right? The US, the UK, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda, Ghana today. And um, managing all of that is is complicated. Uh, and then an MLRO uh, in the UK because we're applying for our license to the FCA. Well, uh, if anyone listening to this is keen, they can reach out to you via LinkedIn, right? Um, yes. And yeah, sounds like an amazing proposition. So sounds awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, my last question to you, Benjamin, is you used to work in TV in uh, Tanzania. H- how do you think that has helped you become a better founder or marketer? Because I feel like a lot of marketers mm-hmm. were kind of in the TV business before or something. So I'm curious. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't <laughs> yeah. recommend it to many people. I didn't really like my time in television. It really? was it was brutal. Um, I mean, I think what it gave me was thick skin. Uh, mm. Working in TV gives really thick skin because you will get brutal feedback, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, whether it's people like trashing you online, like you'll get all of that through television. Um, and it's hard because I started TV when I was 17. And when you're 17 and you're reading these, it was back then it was text messages coming in. Like, of course, like 60% of them were positive or maybe 80% of them were probably positive, 20% were negative, but you only focus on the negative ones. And mentally it would like kill you as a little oh like God. teenager kid. Like I've probably heard every insult you can tell me. Uh, but like, you know, so the first time I joined TV, I actually quit after five shows because of all the feedback we received. And then my manager had to really encourage me like, no, don't worry, this is normal, this is normal. Like, you know, it's fine. Like just ignore the stuff. But I had to get to that mental state of being able to do that. Um, and that that's really hard. I don't think I've ever like gotten over it. Like, you know, it got, but I think I've gotten significantly stronger because like that with having a thick skin, um, you know, really like TV teaches you how to have a thick skin very fast. Um, and so I think as a founder, that's really helped because going back to like us looking at international money transfer, if we just listened to what everybody else told us, we would have never got into the space, right? And like, you have to like gain your own conviction and gain your own confidence in what you're really trying to believe and understand yourself. I think TV really helped me to to do that. Uh, I think TV also helped me with public speaking. Um, mm. I used to be really scared and like standing in front of people. Like now nah, I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't yeah, worry as much. Uh, I used to like freak out. I used to like shake uh, in front of people. Um, you put me in front of three people and I like shake. Um, now it's like cool. Like, you know, it's easy. Uh, you give me a camera and a mic and I'm like, chill, I'm hanging out. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it helped with those things. Um, I don't think it's for everyone though. I think it's a tough industry. Mm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting, and I, I hear what you say about thick skin because that's definitely not something I could <laughs> still need to build that for myself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so it's, no, it's, it's brave. Yeah, it's brave. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so thank you so much, Benjamin, for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. I know you're very busy, so I really appreciate you coming on and um, sharing so many insights. I know we have a couple of listeners who are from Nigeria, so um, I know they'll really, nice. you know, they'll, they'll find this super valuable. And anyone else, to be fair, that's uh, building a fintech. So I really Amazing. appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. And if there's any founders out there, like, you know, I really want to encourage you to to work on what you care about. Uh, it's not easy. It's tough. I respect every single founder in the world because I know how hard it is uh, to build a tech company. And I think building even on the African continent is even harder than, than it is in Europe because uh, there's a lot of rules that are really tough uh, that you have to work with. Uh, but I always tell people to always remember you're going to die at some point and uh, just put your best foot forward uh, and try as hard as you can. Awesome. That's a great way to end it. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find all the information and show notes over at fintechmarketinghub.com and then click on podcast. 
We've also got a fintech marketing Slack community where you can meet fellow fintech marketers and founders, ask podcast guest questions ahead of a show and attend exclusive online events with industry experts. We'd love to see you in there, hear your feedback and learn about the challenges you're currently facing in your role. To join, head to fintechmarketinghub.com forward slash Slack. That's all for today. See you in the Slack.